podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts, not experts, for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you are about to hear is meant to be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice. Please consult with professionals. This episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. Since this is our first episode, we wanted to explain what we really mean by labyrinth of death. Imagine that you're stuck in a moment of a catastrophe, such as a tornado, a shark attack, or even a home invasion, and you see a whole variety of forking choices available to you in a hypothetical labyrinth. You know that you can only choose one direction for now, but you don't know for sure where it will lead because of all the hard twists and turns that you can't see. In this podcast, We'll be diving into those moments to understand why exactly people make the choices that they do and whether or not those choices end up keeping them alive. We're excited to start this podcast for a few reasons. First, this is what we love learning about the most. It's amazing to see what humans are capable of in the most terrifying circumstances. I'm personally terrified of death, so I learn everything I can about all the ways that I could die. I want to know how to prevent something bad from happening. If something bad does happen, I want to understand what the guidelines and best practices are so I can give myself the best chance of making the right decision. Today, and in every episode after this, we'll be discussing real events that happen to real people. When we discuss their choices, we aren't judging them at all. It's impossible to know what anyone would do in a life-threatening situation. I don't know what I would do. We're just trying to learn what works and what doesn't. Perhaps it'll save our lives one day. Perhaps it'll save yours. The episode today is about bear attacks. We've got a few real-life stories for you, and we'll also be digging into the guidelines and statistics for dealing with such bears. The first case we're going to talk about today took place on July 23, 2011 at 7.30 p.m. Seven boys were walking along a creek in the far back country of the Tolkitna Mountains, which are 100 to 120 miles north of Anchorage, Alaska. These boys were attending a 30-day course with the National Outdoor Leadership School, and it originally started with 14 students and three instructors. Now, these seven boys had temporarily split off from the group to continue testing their skills independently, so they were alone out there without an instructor. The group, which included Joshua Berg, who was 17 from New York, Samuel Gottsegan, who was 17 from Denver, and Samuel Boaz, who was 16 from Connecticut, was walking around and yelling like normal. They'd actually just tried to catch a couple of fish in a pool of water, and the thicket was so thick around them and there was no path available to walk on, so they had to walk in a creek in order to keep going. Joshua Berg comes around a bend, because he was leading the group, and sees what he thinks is bales of hay 30 feet in front of him as the, the wilderness kind of starts opening up. And before his brain can fully process what he thinks he's seeing, it's this kind of like incongruous thing, which is bales of hay in the middle of nowhere. He sees a lone bear. And by the time he starts shouting bear to let the rest of the group know, it's already violently attacking him. He actually gets knocked face down into the creek. The bear grabs him by his head, shakes him like a rag doll. His skull cracks audibly, and he and everyone else in the group can actually hear it pop. And the bear keeps clawing at him. So when they hear him yell, bear, and they see him being attacked, Mm -hmm. the rest of the group panics and runs. Three of the boys have bear spray, but none was deployed during the attack. 
Berg, the boy who was in the lead and who just got attacked, remembered to play dead. And so he actually continues to lie face down in the creek. And he was lucky enough to still have his backpack on him to kind of protect some vital organs. Too. Was he able to determine what kind of bear it was? At the time, they didn't. At the time, they said it was so fast. It was mm-hmm. like a blur of like claws and fur. It wasn't like in a movie where you can like mm-hmm. see it. It was like all of a sudden it was there attacking them. And it was it was fast. It came out of nowhere. It's like he saw the bales of hay. He saw the bear. He yelled to warn the group. And then it was on them. And did they have any adults in this group with them? Like No, okay. these these boys, the, all seven of them had kind of split off to test their skills independently and they were okay. going to rejoin with the rest of the group later. So they had no adults. Okay. So he remembers to lie dead, pretending to be dead in the creek. And the bear actually switches to move and attack his friends who have panicked and started to run away. So it moves away from him and it latches onto Gottsegan's head and it lacerates his scalp. It actually comes back to attack Gatsigan again, this time biting him in the chest. He's going to suffer broken ribs and a punctured lung from this. Two of the other boys in the group were also attacked. One was bitten in the head, which resulted in severe lacerations. Mm-hmm. And another was bitten in the leg, but he managed to kick the bear in the face and it went away. In an interview, Gatsigan explained that the bear was actually repeatedly attacking all four injured boys. And that's super weird because it was actually going back to people that it had previously injured, attacking them more, and then moving on so to another one. So it's probably not rabid. It seems like it's it's making a choice to do that. I That occurred to me as well, that it could have been rabid. I didn't see anyone mentioning anything about it. They never caught the bear. There was no real investigation done of the attack. There's apparently no actual organization in Alaska that does like these backcountry bear uh-huh. investigations. So I can't say for sure that it wasn't rabid, The fact that it did eventually run off into the woods implies to me that it's probably not, but you can't know. I would hope that all of the boys did receive rabies vaccines, and this has been a while. Yeah, I I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like since it consciously made choices to do things, it doesn't sound like it was rabid. It was strange behavior, although if you think back, there was a fox that bit a bunch of people on Capitol Hill in D.C. recently, and it attacked multiple groups of people. So I don't think we can rule out rabies. I think it bit like four groups or nine groups there was like multiple attacks by the same fox which was confirmed to be rabid and and we're going to get into this in a little bit as far as like how bear attacks usually go in terms of behavior and statistics but usually when when this kind of thing happens it sounds like it's a defensive territorial thing like when when you're trying to get rid of competitors or some other animal that you don't want in your space because when you're going to attack boys that are already down basically that sounds like a defensive maneuver yeah there's a couple theories i'm going to get into talking about why the bear may have behaved the way it did um and we'll get into that in just a second so one of the boys luckily had had it was actually certified in emergency wilderness medical training so he was able to take charge of their medical care while another boy in the group was able to like set up a camp for them and try to make sure they were in sleeping bags and keeping warm so he bananged them as best he could and Gatsigan, since he had the sucking chest wound, because he had a a punctured lung, Mm -hmm. he actually was able to improvise a chest seal with a garbage bag and an Mm. ace bandage, and that kept him alive. They were able to keep both of them conscious throughout the entire night, and they were also lucky to have an SOS beacon with them. Unfortunately, there is a pull tab on the beacon that they actually couldn't get loose. It Uh. broke off when they were trying to open it, and they had to pry it open with a pocket knife. So basically, it's... Imagine like a little like walkie talkie kind of, 
and it's got like a thing on it that has to be pried off in order for the antenna to open up. And that's probably just so it doesn't automatically go off in your backpack mm-hmm. or something. But they were able to get the antenna out. They called for help. And the SOS alert was received at 930. So that's two hours after this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Bear shows up at 730. They've meant the SOS alert out at 930. So a helicopter isn't going to show up for another five hours. And that's it's nighttime, right? It's nighttime. They're out in the middle of nowhere. Luckily, their beacon has GPS coordinates that get sent with it. So they're able to find them. It just takes a long time to get out to them. So helicopter shows up five hours later. Unfortunately, the helicopter that showed up is not equipped to care for someone with oh, wounds no. as severe as Berg and Gottsegan had. Were they not able to convey the severity of their wounds? Like on, I don't know what kind of beacon they had. Some of them you can send a text message. I don't mm-hmm. know if they had something like that. And this was 2011 when this happened. Uh, okay. So I don't know if it just sent coordinates and they weren't able to communicate anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what the details are. But regardless, the helicopter that showed up couldn't take the two most injured boys because right. it was too dangerous to move them in that kind of a right. situation. So they actually took the less injured members of the group. So they took two boys who'd been injured, the one with the scalp lacerations, mm-hmm. the one with the leg bite, and then four other, sorry, two other boys. So they took two injured, two uninjured into the helicopter and they left behind Berg, got Segan, and Boaz. Uh-huh. Boaz being the one who was helping with the medical treatment. And left them with a trooper behind for protection in case the bear came back. Uh, I was going to say, like, you should probably leave somebody, like an adult, behind. They did, yeah. yeah. And it would actually be three more hours after that first helicopter before a specialized medical transport helicopter. So this is almost like 12 hours. It's it's been a lot. I was I listened to a few of their interviews and Gott Segan was saying that it was because of the the sucking chest wound Mm -hmm. that he had, the punctured Mm -hmm. lung, that it was hard to do anything other than just keep breathing because it was so painful obviously that comes with blood loss too right like did he say how he dealt with that because like it, of course it's hard enough just to not be able to breathe but then when you have blood loss i feel like you'd pass out i i'm sure i would i don't know what they did i know they were able to keep them awake both of them which sure. is crazy including... i mean you're you're in shock with adrenaline too so that helps it's but, gonna but, wear off yeah it's that, been like, a while. after 12 hours i feel like you've you're running on fumes. Yeah, it's it was a long time for them. The person who was most injured, Berg, the boy who was in the lead and who got attacked first, uh-huh. was actually in the hospital for more than 20 days. Interesting. The person in the lead who got attacked first had the most severe injuries. Yeah, and here's what's really interesting about this is, depending on the sources that you're mm-hmm. looking at, they'll say you should hike in groups of three to four mm-hmm. because bears usually don't attack mm-hmm. large groups of people. This was a group of seven which is highly aberrant. But they weren't like shoulder to shoulder. They were just like... That's the thing. They were walking single file down Uh the creek and there was about 15 feet between the first boy and the second boy. So it's possible that when that bear saw that first boy, that they thought that he was alone. So the bear gets startled. It attacks. Right, Right. And then it sees one after another. Someone actually described it, I think, as like serial mauling. Uh Uh-huh. So rather than like a bear attacking a group, it's serially mauling individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like pinballs. Like Mm -hmm. it's just bouncing around. So that's, that's one explanation that I think is reasonable given Mm -hmm. how aberrant this case is. One other interesting kind of discussion that happens originally, they thought just as kind of like the, the knee jerk reaction that it must've been a sow with cubs with her. Yeah. Had to have been. That's what people think originally at least so 
The boys cannot confirm seeing more than one bear. Berg, the boy in the front, thinks he may have seen a cub, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't know. Well, I mean, you said it was like in the evening. You can't know for sure. You can't know for sure, but they didn't hear. They didn't see anything else. They didn't really hear anything else. So another alternate theory could be that when he saw the bale of hay or what Uh he thought was the bale of hay. It could have been like a little smaller bear. It could have been a smaller bear. That's theory one Mm -hmm. or theory two. Apparently, bears will actually rip up grass Uh to cover up a kill. Oh, so they okay. could actually, so it's like up to a hundred feet wide. They'll so he, rip grass up and he, cover it. And when he it might dries, have accidentally disturbed like a food, cache. basically. Yeah. And wh- I mean, wh- when was this? Was this in the summer, late summer? This was July 2011. July yep. two, okay. So that's, uh, that's the theory that makes the most sense to me. The fact that he thought he saw bales of hay. Bears do this with grass. It's yep. that season. And if you imagine grass like turning yellow, I would probably think that was a bale of hay too. And unfortunately, they weren't able to get someone out there to investigate. So at this yeah. point, we'll probably never know yeah. what it was. Um, but that is my, that's my personal prevailing theory is that it was a kill cache. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, exactly. So given that this was an aberrant case, mm-hmm. can you tell me how many bear attacks there have been in the past like 100 years? Is this like a super common thing? So bear attacks that end up in fatally. like... Fatally. Oh, yeah. fatal attacks. How likely am I to be killed by a bear? I would venture to guess that the funnel of people who are attacked by bears at all is small. And of people who are attacked, the number of fatalities is even smaller. So per year, maybe, I don't know, like 10, 10 per year fatalities? Yeah, I'm not sure what it breaks down to per year. Some places, I think I saw one article that had like 10 per year. I saw some other places uh-huh. that listed the total number of fatalities as 71 since 1900. That seems kind of low to me. But if you think about it, the whole Night of the Grizzlies thing that some folks might be familiar with, which occurred yeah. back in the 50s, that was kind of the first case where people realized that bears could be dangerous to people in parks. So two mm-hmm. people died that night. And that was like a big monumental thing that happened. So anything before 1967 probably wouldn't have accumulated that many bear deaths. People didn't think that bears were going to kill people in parks until the 60s. So the numbers that were accumulated since then, you know, not too crazy. Okay. Interesting. So like I mentioned earlier about the seasonality of these kinds of attacks, right? Most fatal attacks will occur between July to August, which is the heat of summer, literally the heat of summer, and less so in the wintertime because obviously they're hibernating, right? So in general, attacks, whether they're fatal or not, will occur mostly between um, late April and it'll peter off at around September. And just a note there on the hibernation. So normally when you say hibernation, You mean an animal that's like out cold for the whole Mm -hmm. season. So what bears go through is actually something called torpor. And they can actually wake up if they're disturbed and they can go find food if they're too hungry. Yeah. So something that occurred to me when I learned about that was so bears are going to, you know, try to find shelter in a cave or something like that. So I actually found a case of someone who had stumbled into a bear den in the middle of winter and when they were in torpor, like knocked Uh out. Um, and that's something that you don't want to do, which is startle a bear, sleeping bear. And in yeah. this case, they actually think that it was a sow and her cubs. 
which is like a nightmare situation. That's the last place you want to be. Yeah, and you weren't expecting to see a bear because it's mm. the middle of winter. So I believe it was four people. Two of them were mauled and survived. Oof. They were rescued by helicopter by the Coast Guard. And two of the other members were unharmed. So just be aware that even if it is wintertime, it's possible that you're going to stumble onto a sleeping bear. Now, as far as general guidelines from state sources, think about Montana, Alaska, Wyoming, where there are bears in the first place, grizzly bears, uh, I should say. Think about carrying bear spray, if not just have it default on you. I've read numbers that cite bear spray being up to 90 to 95% effective. And one thing about the bear spray, though, so like I said when I was talking about the, the boys who were attacked back in 2011, three of those boys had bear spray. So two of those packs got dropped, so they never even got the bear spray out. The third boy had bear spray and kept his backpack on him, but he never attempted to get it out. It's one of those things where just having it isn't going to save you. So right. a lot of times you can actually buy like a holster for your bear spray, mm -hmm. so it's easy to grab. But it's one of those things where in the heat of the moment, when you're panicking and you're mm -hmm. forgetting all mm -hmm. the guidelines and all that stuff, that it's easy to understand how someone would completely in the panic just forget that they even have it so it's one of those things where you can prepare yourself to make the choices available to you mentally by kind of walking through it understanding yep. like practicing grabbing the bear spray and just make it kind of rote memory i was gonna say yeah it's very similar to when they teach people in like concealed carry classes for handguns or just guns in general it's not enough in their words just to own a gun or have it in your house or like on you you have to practice drawing it aiming all that kind of stuff under pressure right the same thing goes for bear spray like even if you just have it on you even in a holster if you don't know what it feels like physically the sensation of pulling it out unsafetying it and potentially pulling the trigger you're probably not going to be able to do it in the heat of the moment so if you're going, like I said, into those territories for camping, hiking, whatever you're going to do, try practicing like a dry run of getting your bear spray out and, you know, holding it in front of you and mock spraying. Yeah, everything, all this preparatory stuff is really just giving yourself either options to avoid it yeah. so you don't even meet this threat. Or if you do meet it, you have more options available to you because you've practiced for it. Yeah. But never spray your bear spray as a deterrent around your camp. No. That won't work. It Imagine just like, like Finn said, as literally pepper spray like someone's assaulting you yeah. so just don't it may actually attract them to campsite studies have shown so you really want to as much as you know reasonably possible try to isolate your food and more importantly its scent from surrounding area as much as possible so that'll include putting your food in plastic bags or liners and making sure that it's packed away so that you don't have any lingering scents just seeping out of it when you're cooking, try to make sure that you're at least 100 yards away from where you're sleeping because bears will obviously smell you and your food. So if your most vulnerable state is when you're sleeping, you want to remove that or distance your most vulnerable state from where your food smell is as much as possible. And one other thing, make sure it's not just food that you're removing from your camping area. Think through anything that could smell like food. There was a woman who was unfortunately fatally attacked it was one of those situations where mm -hmm. Bear comes to camp. She's asked if she wants to leave. She chooses not to. She stays thinking yep. it's gone. The bear comes back and fatally mauls her, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking that the bear may actually have been initially attracted to her campsite mm -hmm. because she had bags there that had previously had something that was blueberry mm -hmm. scented or something like mm -hmm. that. And it wasn't even in there anymore, but maybe just enough of that smell attracted the bear. So just be careful with that. 
Yeah, I mean, when I was reading it, I was thinking, like, do you want to mask the smell of your food? Like, I don't know, like an orange-scented trash bag or something? That's that's the kind that I have. Oh, that smells like food, too. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, it might just draw them even though it's not food. So try to be unscented and just lock it up. On that same note, as far as hygiene goes, you might not think that these things are scented, but toothpaste, your even toothbrush, your floss, anything that's kind of an artificial minty flavor, that's going to smell like food to somebody who, in the heat of summer, is trying to build up fat reserves for the winter. So try to avoid scented or flavored hygiene products. It's shampoo, that kind of stuff, too. So take it out of your tent, make sure you're cooking far away, and use either a certified bear canister that bears can't break into or tie it up in a tree, which is called hanging a bear bag. I've read some reports that that's difficult to do correctly, So if you're going to be hanging a bear bag, just make sure you're looking at the guidelines and make sure you're doing it correctly. Yep. Last but not least among these guidelines is to hike in groups of no fewer than three to four. Because when you're talking about bears and a defensive position, numbers are one of your biggest advantages, right? Because it makes you look like a bigger organism than you really are. And looking bigger like that might actually help prevent a bear from even approaching you in the first place. So in addition to, you know, camping and hiking, there's other places you need to just take precautions about bears. And that could even just be in your neighborhood. So we have black bears in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I often go out walking our dogs and I'm conscious of it in the evenings just because we know they're out and around. So And they eat trash. And they eat trash, especially on trash nights when people have taken their, their... like cans to the curb yeah. if i hear a weird noise or like the dog's ears prick up mm-hmm. i am super cautious mm-hmm. it makes me really nervous so if you're out especially if you're walking your dog and you hear like a snuffling noise that should be a concern for you i read a few cases where that's the first thing they reported was kind of like hearing that kind of bear noise uh, okay so you hear it because it's night you're probably not gonna see it first yeah especially like a black bear or grizzly bear they're dark So just be cautious. If you hear a weird noise like that, just go back in your house, get in your car, do whatever you can to stay safe. I mean, at that point, you probably have bear spray on your keychain, right? I actually don't. I should, but I don't. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're the kind of person that does carry bear spray on your person while you're walking at night or something like that, if you hear that, that should be a signal, hey, Maybe I should start, you know, unsafing this just in case. You know what I mean? Yeah, if we live somewhere like Montana, I definitely would. We know there is one black bear who lives in our neighborhood. He is like a local celebrity. Next door always lights up whenever he's sighted. And he's a little ways away from us. So I'm not too worried about it. I am just aware of it. But you're right. If we lived in an area where there were more bears, I would definitely mm-hmm. be walking the dogs with Yeah, it's it. definitely pretty spotty and isolated where we are. Like, I, I don't think there's like a huge bear population. No, I think it's like literally like one bear yeah. that people see. Yeah, a transitory, like transient bear, basically. Yeah, so just be careful, especially if you're out walking your dogs. So I actually found a quote from the founder of the North American Bear Center who said that a disproportionate number of bear attacks are linked to canines. And that might be because the dog sense the bear and starts barking and that draws their attention. Mm-hmm. So especially if you're out with your dogs, just be careful. So this is actually kind of a funny little story. I was out walking our dogs and a, I heard this voice behind me that says, Psst, hey you. And this was, I don't know, like 830 at mm-hmm. night maybe. It was a summer. Yeah, I think it was. Um, So there's still some daylight. Yeah, it was, I think we had like, it may have been like early spring. Like people had jackets on, but it wasn't like cold weather. So I hear, hey you. And I'm like, there's no way that someone is talking to me right now. It's after dark. What is going on? 
So I just keep walking the dogs, and then I hear it again. Psst, hey, you with the dogs. And I was like, okay, no. This is definitely somebody talking to me. So I turn around, and it's a woman who lives in our neighborhood that I've never spoken to before. And she comes up, and she says, kind of like furtively, she's like, hey, did you hear about the bear? I said, well, no, what's going on? She said, well, it's been sighted. So if you see it and you need help, you let me know. And I said, okay. And I never, and then she like, I think she literally like disappeared back into the night. I don't know if uh-huh. she was going around telling everyone this or what was going on, but uh-huh. it really threw me because I don't know her name. I didn't know where she lived. Mm-hmm. I don't know her cell phone number. So I didn't like, was I supposed to throw up a bat signal for this woman to come rescue mm-hmm. me from the bear? I, it was very strange. Yeah, I, I feel like if you're in, I wouldn't say our neighborhood is like super densely populated, but if you're in a, in a neighborhood that has relatively close distribution of houses, you're probably kind of safe because you have neighbors who are within shouting distance. I, I don't know if that kind of behavior for you at least, would change if you're in like a more sparsely distributed neighborhood where houses are quite a bit away from each other. I think, yeah, I think we, so we live in the suburbs. I think people will come out in the suburbs. I was out walking the dogs in the evening. I was rushed by a dog and I screamed so loudly and then inarticulately just kept saying the word dog, dog, that people came out of their houses to see what was happening. So that actually made me feel a little bit better that if I was attacked by a bear or something, right. that I would not be alone. So that might not be the case in some neighborhoods where, exactly. like, you might have like a minute between houses or something like that. Yeah. So foot. it you just have to be aware of your surroundings mm-hmm. and understand the parts of where you live and what can help you. Like, is there yeah. an open truck door that you could get into? Stuff like that. Right. Just think through these things so that if you have to make a decision because you see a bear, that you know what all of your options are. So, speaking of which, we've talked about precautions in terms of camping. We've talked about precautions in terms of walking around your neighborhood. So what happens if you actually see a bear? So if you see it, but it doesn't sense you, just leave without alerting it that you're there. So this one's a little bit weird for me because it kind of conflicts with the idea of, you know, like wearing a bear bell so bears mm-hmm. know where you are or yelling yeah, at a bear. Yeah, I've heard that a lot too, and there's some conflicting guidelines. Yeah, this. so this is one of those things where you kind of have to make a choice. And I, my understanding, my breakdown of this is... If the bear is not aware of you and you make a loud noise or startle it, that's a bad thing. So if the bear is blissfully unaware or maybe aware of you and just ignoring you, don't start making a scene of yourself. Just like quietly exit and don't make a big scene. I would say it even makes intuitive sense. If something isn't aware of you, you probably don't want to aggressively announce your presence, right? And what I do know for sure is that you don't want to run, right? You, You want to, whether or not it's detected you back away slowly facing it so that you don't number one signal that you're prey because what runs away from bears like don't start screaming and running yeah exactly if it hasn't charged you if it doesn't if you think it doesn't know where you are just try to remove yourself peacefully and quietly from the situation at this point if you got bear spray take it out and and point it in front of you with the safety off just in case right because you're you're lucky that you're in a situation where you have the element of surprise. So that's probably like the safest way to remove yourself, just backing away, gun or bear spray ready, and until you're a safe enough distance away where you probably can just like drive home or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So if the bear does sight you, 
if it's standing up, apparently that means it's curious, and mm -hmm. that's a pretty good sign. So if it is curious, it may approach you to figure out what you are. So talk calmly, stand with your group, appear large. So also, if you have small children or yep. small dogs, pick them up so they don't look like prey that could be picked off yeah, from the main group. Exactly. And if it keeps approaching you, that's the point where you want to make yourself as obnoxious as possible. So oh, yeah. make loud noises, throw rocks at it, you know, hold your arms up in the yeah, air. Yeah, look big. Like if you got a jacket or a coat, like fan it out. Yeah, you don't, you want to be as annoying to the bear as possible because if it wants to attack you or take your food, it, yeah. it has to make its own kind mm -hmm. of like death labyrinth calculation. Am I going to make a choice right. right now that could result in my death? And so if you seem like more trouble than you're worth, it might just move on. And one thing that is a myth that people tend to believe is that you should run downhill from bears because they can't run downhill as much. That's not true. Even if a bear was slower downhill, bears can run as fast as cars. A bear's top speed, a black bear is like, what, 30, 35 miles an hour? Yeah, I, I read only two cases of advice in which you should run. And that is if and only if you are close to a car. Yep or you are close to a house that you can get entry into. Not just a car, but a car you can get into. Yeah, 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 not any random car, but if it's like my car door unlocks when I run up to it with the keys. So if I can run up and that door is going to be open, and you can do it before the bear gets to you, then you should do that. But only if you can actually do that. If you're not sure, do not run. You know what I haven't seen through all of this research? Whether or not you should run into a body of water. I would not bear swim. I know bear swim, but I probably wouldn't do it for a grizzly. I'm not sure if you could get away with doing that for a black bear. I don't know if anyone's ever tried. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because a lot of these attacks happen like near national parks, Alaska especially. Half of all grizzly bears, brown bears, on the yeah. Western Hemisphere are in Alaska. And obviously, like, they're semi-aquatic animals. Let, let's stack the odds in your favor. If you were like Michael Phelps, if you were able to run somehow into like a river or somehow into like a lake away from a bear would that be the right call i don't know we'd have to i'm sure there's numbers out there yeah for how fast a bear can swim so i, I don't know you might have a chance yeah. i personally would not unless i had no other options but maybe yeah we'd have to get what like average bear swim speeds are because like because the thing is bears don't swim fast to catch prey yeah i they're i'm assuming they're super buoyant because they're yeah. so fat, but who knows? Getting back to on topic, guidelines are to only run if you can get into a walled, lockable vehicle that is at the time unlocked. And that you know, house. that you know is unlocked. Otherwise, stand your ground. Unless you're hitting those two random rare cases, you need to stand your ground. And if you've been attacked from a charge, there's two things that could happen, depending mm -hmm. on whether it's a grizzly or mm -hmm. it's a black bear. Mm -hmm. So if you're being attacked by a grizzly bear... You need to lie down, cover the back of your neck with your hands, mm -hmm. and make sure you leave your backpack on for protection. That's going to protect those vital organs in the yep. back. And stay down until you're sure they're like well away. Yeah. So stay down. So that's probably what saved um, the one boy who was in the lead. I was going to say the backpacks lead. too, that, that helped at least one or two of those kids. Yeah, and the boy who was in the lead who laid face down, he had his yeah. backpack on. He was in such rough shape that I think if he Oh, had if not, he didn't, he would he, be dead. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he would have stood a chance. Because so his skull's I, already cracked. Yeah, his skull was cracked. Yep. You know, he was the first one. He was shaking like a ragdoll. Oh, so yeah. him being able to follow the guidelines, you yep. know, stay, play dead, leave your backpack on. Yep. I, he probably saved his own life. Just keep that in mind. 
If it's a black bear now, see if you can escape to a car or a structure. And if a black bear has charged you, fight it. So there's this old... I've seen that too. Yeah, there's the old adage. It's like, black black fight back, brown lie down, white good night. So that's black bears, fight them if they charge you. Brown bears, which is like grizzly bears, lie down, play dead. Mm -hmm. And if it's a polar bear, then good luck. This is like its own mini section later on, but polar bears, you don't come back from. If a polar bear has selected you for food, you have almost no chance of surviving without help. Yeah, unless you, um, have, unless you have a gun. A buddy, a, a buddy with a gun yeah. or a guide with a gun or something, that, that bear is going to eat you yeah, Basically, unless you're already on alert for, bears, for a yeah. polar bear, you're going to get killed. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we. that's why I don't even really have that much about polar bears yeah. in here, just because there's very little that you can do unless you're with someone who is armed. Yeah, and you're dead because the polar bears weigh like three times as much as a black bear. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Even like as a woman trying to fight a black bear that weighed 150 pounds. I mean, with adrenaline, I would yeah. do my best. Yeah. But I don't know if I would win that fight. Well, the average black bear can be like, I've seen figures of 250 and, and polar bears are anywhere from 750 to 1500. Yeah. I'm not, neither of us are fighting a polar bear. Nobody's fighting a half ton animal period. No, there's no way. It will yeah. just. It's going to kill you like immediately. So anyways, with black bears, like you said, you want to fight back, hopefully going for the vital areas. Obviously, bears have eyes. I think the snout is recommended, too, if you can get that. Basically, any part of their face is what you want to yeah, go after. Exactly. So, And, and you're, you're even better if you have like a hard club, branch, a gun. Like If you have a rifle, you can use that as a club as well. That would probably be the way to go because they have a reach advantage on you. We actually listened to this one interesting case where someone was mauled by a bear and, you know, actually ripped his face and nose off. And yeah. he ended up having to actually, I think this was the guy, he stuck his arm down the bear's throat. Yeah. Like, understanding that he could be sacrificing that limb, but it's yeah. his life. Yeah. Right? So what are you going to do? So exactly. Just understand that, you know, you're looking at your choices and perhaps sticking your arm down the bear's throat is an option. You never know. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say go for that no. as your go-to, but I think he just happened to have if that you're happen desperate to him, enough, yeah. just know that it's it's something that you could do yeah, if like, you have no other options. And he probably just went wild because his hand was in there and what are you else going to do? But he yeah. lived. Yeah. So that was a good choice to have made. Yeah. With a brown bear or a grizzly bear, there's almost no hope. It's almost like polar bear levels of fighting back. Like you, you can't fight back against that because grizzly bears, like I said, are, are about at least two times bigger. Sometimes I've actually seen black bears that are bigger than grizzly bears, but grizzlies in general on average are bigger, heavier, taller than black bears. So there's like almost no point to fighting them. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. there is actually one case, I guess two cases Mm -hmm. in which you do want to fight a grizzly. Mm -hmm. So if you're lying down and the grizzly's attacking you, Uh you're hoping that it's going to just assume you're no longer a threat, that it has neutralized you and it will move on. Now, there is the possibility that a grizzly wants to eat you as food. It could be starving. There could be, it could be ill. You don't know what's going on with that bear. So if you have seen a bear stalking you and you have been able to get out of the area fast enough and it then attacks you after stalking yes. you, that means you're prey. So you need to fight the bear, even if it's a grizzly, yes. because it is going to kill you. It laying there will mm-hmm. just make its job easier. Okay. I, I guess, I guess I should amend my statement from earlier. If, and this is true, I think, for not just black bears, but also, like you said, grizzly bears, and even, honestly, like, polar bears, because the polar bear's going to kill you anyways, you might as well try fighting back. If you can ascertain that it's not just a defensive maneuver, but your food 
to them, yeah, then you have you to. You probably have to fight back. Yeah, and here's one other thing: if a bear comes to your camp in the mm-hmm, night, mm-hmm. you need to leave. That's a, that's a pivotal choice that will end your life possibly very quickly. The woman yeah. who died recently, unfortunately, she the bear came to camp. She yep. was offered a place to move for the night. She yep. assumed it would be fine because she didn't have any food in her tent. Mm-hmm. A completely understandable thing to have done, but mm-hmm. had she accepted the offer to move to the lodge or whatever they were yep. offering, she would still be alive today. Mm-hmm. So if you're put in a position where you can make that choice because the bears come to your camp, you need to move. You need to leave and go somewhere else. So along those same notes, so if it's stalking you or if you're asleep and a bear of any kind attacks you in the night, yeah, that is a situation in which you need to fight because it is trying to eat you. Like you are bear food. Because you're vulnerable. Like it wants to eat you when you're most vulnerable. Yeah, you're not a threat to it. You're asleep yeah. in a tent. So mm-hmm. that means that you're food. So fight that bear. So generally, when you see bears, never run. You're not going to win. Mm-hmm. You'll look like prey. And if you stumble on an animal carcass, bail out quickly. So if you see any dead animal on the woods, yeah. especially one that's like covered in brush or grass, yeah, honestly, just get the fuck out. Yeah, this possibly could have happened with your first case, right? With yeah. the, the lead boy seeing what he thought was a bale of hay. It happened with a guy whose face was pulled off too. He, the day- It was a moose, yeah. The day earlier, he had shot some deer or elk or moose or something, but he couldn't haul it back to camp in time. So he went after it the night, bef- the night after, I should say to retrieve it mm-hmm. and the bear got him then because he noticed that the bear or something had moved it around yeah it, was, it became it. the bear's food yeah exactly so so your your kill became food for the bear yeah so just be careful so that's some advice so just mm-hmm. in terms of like thinking through what your choices are if you actually encounter a bear absolutely so i really like and i was surprised about your first situation when you described that seven boy attack um, from the bear, because it actually mirrors very similarly the case that I chose. I know you didn't read my case yet. No, I didn't read your so, case. So this happened relatively recently. This happened actually like almost exactly a year ago. This was August 31st of 2021. It happened in a place called, it's spelled Sitka, but I think it's pronounced Sheetka, and that's in Alaska. And according to a publication by a KTOO, which is a radio station in the area, there was a bear attack. And this happened upon a group of people, uh, first and led by a fish and game technician named Jess Coltharp. And he'd been working for the fish and game department in Sitka for 14 years surveying streams, right? So he's, he's experienced with this over a decade and a half, basically, of experience. Okay, so he's like a real area. pro. Yeah, he, he's a local. He lives and breathes the wilderness, okay. right? Even in his words, when he's describing what his job is, he says, and I quote, For the most part, the main part of my job is just walking the creeks, counting salmon, and then reporting the escapement numbers back to the office so that they have an idea of how many fish are going up the creek and spawning. So he's head counting salmon. That's terrifying. That's that's what the bears eat. That's what stream surveying is, apparently. Okay. So going back to how this attack ended up happening, according to him, Jess, he and his entire career of seeing um, bears throughout his surveying there's about 80 to 90 bears that he cites per summer. And if you do the math, he's been doing this for 14 years. That's about 1,000 bears total. 1,000 bears in this one guy's lifetime of a decade and a half of working for Fish and Game. Right? That's terrifying. That's a lot of bears. Yeah, it's a lot of like, bears. Like this guy is an absolute 
outlier in terms of how many bear encounters anybody will ever see in their lifetime. I, yeah. like, I've never seen a bear in real life. And I, I've been hiking in the wilderness with you plenty of times. You've only yeah. seen a bear once. I've seen a bear a couple of times. I've had a bear run in front of me within like 10 feet yes, once. once. Backpacking like six miles deep in the woods. Yeah. Right. And this is in like the Appalachian area. So yeah. this is super... I mean, I would say it's relatively rare for us, but this guy's exact opposite. He's in Alaska. He's living among both grizzlies and black bears. A thousand bears total in his lifetime doing, not even his lifetime, just on the job. That's crazy. So while he's doing his routine stream surveying job, he goes to an island uh, called West Chichagoff Island, probably butchered that, which is about a few hours north of Sitka, right? So he's doing this trip to survey fish with two other co-workers. Okay, so it's three guys. Technically, one co-worker, one of them is a volunteer, but his main co-worker uh, is a deckhand. Uh, his name is Anthony, and the volunteer is named Ethan. So this is a group of three relatively young men, and the time of day was actually 5 p.m. around when this happened. So this was in the summer, like I said, August. So also late the August. evening like mine. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Summertime, relatively late in the yeah. evening, this attack happened. So on their job, they just finished up. They're packing up at 5 p.m., right? And they're headed back to their boat. So they parked their boat somewhere in like a river or stream. They're going to go back to it and go home. And they were on a trail back to the boat, mm-hmm. right? Guess who was in the front? The guy who was attacked. Oh, Jess was attacked. Thing. He had the 14-year uh, technician. He was attacked. And he, according to you know accounts after the fact, he was about yeah. 15 feet in front of the last guy. It's the same. It was so, 15-foot gap. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there's that consistent gap right yeah according to him when he was walking at the front of the pack right he had seen some rustling or heard some rustling i should say in some bushes about 20 feet away so in terms of geography right there's 20 feet something in the bushes yeah and then there's jess and, 20 and he's feet, in the middle he's yeah. in the middle and the next closest guy behind him anthony the deckhand that's the layout so okay he says he remembers looking over um and i'm going to start quoting right now he remembers looking over my shoulder And I was saying something to them when I kind of heard the bushes crashing. And that's when I looked up and looked over towards where the sound was coming from. I couldn't even really see it all at first because the brush was pretty thick. But about 20 feet away, this bear comes charging out of the brush at full speed. So so this is almost the same situation you described where there's something that's just like amorphous, could be a bale of hay could be bushes oh. suddenly this bear just comes out full charge right just like just barreling out it, there's no time to prepare for this and i've i've heard i don't know about in this case but i've heard from other cases that it feels because the bear is so massive and they're oh, rolling yeah. so quickly that it feels like you're being hit by a car yeah exactly i mean think of the mass right think of like a 300 pound even black bear hitting you at 30 miles an hour you're gonna get full you might lose your teeth yeah, you, you easily Yeah, could. you could crack your skull. So he says he saw this bear charging out of the brush at full speed. Jess, the guy who was attacked, tried to get his gun from a backsling, right? He's experienced with this. He, yeah. he lives and breathes Alaska. He had a gun, but he didn't have a drum because this is just a, a routine day trip. He's counting Yeah, why fish. would you, right? So he tried to get his gun from his back and attempted to load the chamber. Okay. So there was no bullet loaded into his gun when this is happening. Even if it was loaded, it doesn't matter because the bear got them before he can even get off his back, right? So the gun is just not even a factor. But before he can make contact with the bear, he has the really fortuitous choice he made in his mind to jump to the side, right? 
So Jess jumped to the side to get his upper body out of harm's way. Both oh, from, that's smart. Exactly. Both from the bear going for him. Because when you mentioned in your first story about the kids who were attacked, yeah. what happened to every single one of them? The bear went for their heads. Yep, every went for their one. necks, right? This is a proven fact. This is not even like yeah, up for discussion. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. It's proven. Bears do this because I've seen videos of them hunting a wild boar or a pig. They're biting yeah. the neck. They're biting the head. They're cracking skulls. That's crazy. They're breaking yeah. necks, right? So he's like... I am a 14-year veteran of the fish and game department. I'm going to try to get my head, my shoulders, and my neck out of the way of the bear attack. That's so That's smart. That's the first reason, yeah. right? The second reason, and this is from what he's describing after the account, he wants to get his buddy behind him, 20, 15 feet away from him, a chance to shoot at the bear. This guy is making... He's playing like 3D chess. That's yeah, amazing. So speaking of choices in the labyrinth yeah. of death, he is making not just a single good choice, but a multifaceted good choice. He's giving his friend an option exactly. to make a choice. And, yeah. and even if his friend can't react in time, at least you're not going to get your head bitten by a bear first. Yeah. This is a difference between like a 16, 17-year-old kid and a professional. Yeah. Right? And again... Not those kids' faults. And the fact yeah. that they survived, yeah. I would have died. Exactly, so yeah. I'm not blaming so the kids. Proficient. I'm just saying, yeah. like, this is this is how experience informs you and gives you that muscle memory. Yeah, that's amazing. To save your skin. So he's jumping to the side. He's clearing a line of sight for his friend. But right when he makes contact with the ground, basically, he said the bear had actually bit him above the kneecap. So, like, oh, above the knee. Yeah. What does the bear do? He starts shaking yeah. and doing violent things, him, just like the kids who were attacked. Yeah. The commonality between not just these two accounts, but I've seen other attacks as well, the bear, when it's charging at you, it's defensive, maybe because of food, maybe because of cubs. It's going to shake you. Yeah. It's going to bite you, and it's going to shake you. Picture, like, our... Do- I mean, obviously, bears are not dogs, but our dogs do that. Like, when they're playing with a toy, right. they'll, they'll bite it, and they'll shake it. So, it's the same kind of thing. Right. Exactly. So so he's being picked up by the leg. These are massively strong animals. He's being picked up, shaken by the leg, basically. Oh right. God. I can't even imagine bending like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. my brain can't do that. Yeah. So, But still, he's got the presence of mind to tell his, yell to his friend 15 feet behind him, Anthony, to shoot the bear. So then somehow Anthony, like I said, 15 feet behind, he actually saw the bear charging. He actually saw the bear make contact. It was oh crazy. Gosh. It was yeah. like... How do you even, like, react to that? You it's see like somebody movie, in front of you. Yeah. Exactly. He sees this happen. He, I'm not sure if he pulled out his gun yeah. because he heard his friend saying, shoot him, or he just did it instinctively. It's, yeah. But he took out his shotgun. He shot the bear once. And instantly, from Jess's point of view, the guy who's being attacked, the bear lets go immediately. Okay. So lesson there in the labyrinth of choices, if you can shock the bear physically, enough it will let go because it's going to make its own choices okay maybe i shouldn't say it will let go it is likely to let go this has happened in other cases yeah. too once a bear feels pain not just pain but like significant pain yeah, it, its own fear of death kicks in exactly yeah. because then you're you're flipping the table you're flipping the script the bear is now having to make a choice is it really worth biting and trying to hold on to this so-called prey when i'm being shot that's another key takeaway from this attack. Hmm. And just to add on to that, not just one person, but two guys, at least two guys in this three-person group, had guns. Because they were pros in the backcountry They were Alaska. pros. Yeah. So he shot the bear once, bear lets go of the guy's leg, and he's relatively safer now. Yeah. Anthony, the guy in the back, shoots the bear twice more just to make sure the bear is neutralized. So at this point... So I, is the bear I, down? The, bear, the article doesn't say if it was killed at that point or not, but... There's no more mention of it, so okay. essentially the bear's dead. Or at least incapacitated or not interested well, yeah, anymore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the status of the situation right now, bear's gone, 
the guy who's attacked Jess in front, he now has a massively injured leg Ugh, above the knee yeah. because the bear's been biting and shaking him violently. He realizes that he's okay relatively. Yeah, he actually stand on his two legs. He can stand and say, hi guys, I'm okay. But he also realizes that there's a shit ton of adrenaline feeding into him right now. So, so he's he can't got, feel it even. Exactly. Yeah. So he's got to do something fast. So what do they do? They all work together to put a tourniquet above the knee for this guy. Oh my gosh. To stop the bleeding, yeah. right? And after they have the tourniquet on, they contact their boss. Remember, they're on the job. This is like 5 p.m. They're like literally going to their boat. To like in the day. To yeah. go home. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they time. call their boss. Hey, uh, while I was on the job, two hours away from, you know, where we usually are, um, can you send somebody to help us? Because I just got massively attacked by a bear and I'm bleeding, losing a lot of blood. Oh my gosh. So his boss sends a float plane to pick them up near where their boat was, where they were trying yeah. to get to anyways. And um, a couple hours later, I think it was two hours later, he ends up at the uh, emergency room and he gets operated on. He's yeah. got surgery. So eventually after surgery, he has to go through several weeks of physical therapy as you do when you're bitten and thrown around by a bear. Yeah. But ostensibly after that, he makes a full recovery. Good on him. And yeah. like, and the guys who helped him, the two other guys who were able yeah, to do good something. Good on them. That's amazing. And one thing I did want to call out on this that was particularly interesting was that all three of these men had varying degrees of professional emergency response training. Jess, the guy who was attacked in particular, 14-year veteran, right? He actually had training from both his job in fish and game because you're working in the wilderness. You're going to get trained on the yeah, job for that. But he had separately also got an EMT training from the Sitka Fire Department. So this guy's like oh, nice. double qualified. Yeah. In his words, he was actually telling Anthony and the volunteer Ethan what to do in order to prevent blood loss attached That's to her. So, cool. so this is like the perfect setup for if you were to actually get attacked and made contact with a bear who else would you want on your squad to help you like these guys right yeah, that's amazing they've got professional training and guns and supplies like if they had a satellite phone that they called their boss on that's that's so those are two of my big takeaways from all yeah. this is like in both cases sure you're in the back country right the group of boys had an sos beacon these guys had a sat phone so you need a reliable way if you're out in the wilderness to communicate with civilization to get yes. help. Because if you just have a cell phone, you don't want to have to be have, send a friend running up the hill to see if they can get a signal because yeah. you it's going to be a long time. Oh, yeah. And since it is going to be a long time, having f multiple folks in your team who are medically trained, at least to give like wilderness first aid, triaging kind of stuff, vitally important. Because this was, even in this case with like yeah. the float plane, that was still hours before he got to a hospital. Yeah, because like I said, he was a couple hours away from their yeah. operating area, basically, and on an island, no less. That's why they had to go there by boat. Right, so that's hours. If they hadn't yeah. done that tourniquet, he would have bled out. Mm -hmm. The boys, in my case, that was eight hours mm -hmm. with a, like, a fractured skull. Yeah. That is so easy to die from in that amount of time. Oh, like yeah. The fact that they survived is crazy. Right. So that it, it could easily save your life or someone else's life. And I, I know I seem like a super neurotic person, but I, when I go traveling, I have, you can buy like these like stretch and wrap tourniquets, yeah. like, like all kinds of stuff that you can just toss in your bag. It doesn't right. even take up that much space just to like take one less like variable out that you have to think through. Yeah. Two major takeaways from this. They both are themed around not just preparation, but actual firsthand muscle memory training is number one know how to actually perform the medical procedures if you have tourniquet materials and you've never actually like applied one to somebody in training it doesn't do you any good 
because you're guessing what to do in the moment of for the first time, right? Be trained in it beforehand. Be fluent with it. Number two is actually with the gun situation. The person behind them was able to actually pull out a gun fast enough. Because they had that much more distance. They had more distance, right? Yeah. So obviously, like we mentioned earlier, if you're in a group of three to four or, or greater, try to be as close together as you can. These guys were in single file, relatively far away, 15, 20 feet away. But this might have actually played out to his advantage a little bit because he had the space to draw a gun and fire without being in a place where he might have hit his friend. And they didn't have bear spray. I'm not sure what that says about how Alaskans view like <laughs> just, bear preventative They were just going to shoot them. Think about it. They're around not just bears. They're around moose. Yeah, I don't wolves, know if you can bear spray a moose. Other animals, mountain lions. Yeah. Bear spray might not work on some of those. My takeaway is this guy is like literally a superhero. Yeah. That, that just blows my mind he was able to do that. And one thing for, for the people listening who are familiar with firearm safety training and defensive maneuvers is I've seen real videos, like real like training videos and demos that say if you're under, you know, 30 feet, 20 feet away from somebody who has like a knife and you have a gun, they can close a distance almost always faster than you can draw the gun in a reactive and way that's a person, and shoot them. Not a bear. Yeah, that's a person. Slower than a bear, categorically slower than a bear. And this is with you primed to expect an attack. You with a gun cannot prepare to shoot somebody fast enough than a guy who's 30 feet away with just a knife. With you knowing about it, the reaction time is just not there. So a bear who's 20 feet away running at 30 miles an hour, yeah, there's no the way. gun might not have even helped them. Yeah, there, that was a phenomenal situation. And right. I'm so glad that the people who were there survived and that yeah. they made it and that their skills are what got them out of it. Exactly. That's what's amazing. And, and even more to Jess and Anthony and Ethan's credit, think about how many bears at the beginning I said this guy has been exposed to. Well over a thousand. Yeah. 90 bears per year, 14 years. Do the math. It's well over a thousand on average. For real. And over a thousand bears, if this is the only like attack attack he's been in, that's pretty good odds. Like he could just as have easily never have had this attack happen in just another normal day. Yeah. And chances are most folks listening will never have this happen to them, but it could happen. Even if it's low statistics, someone, someone out there is that statistic that is getting attacked by the bear. So walking through, you know, best guidelines like this, looking through actual cases, that will help you know more of what your options are if you're mm -hmm. ever in this scenario. So when you're faced to that like garden of forking paths and you don't know what each one is gonna lead to, hopefully this can help inform you and maybe open up a few choices that you didn't know that you had. Take these cases with you going forward. Hopefully you will never run into this, mm -hmm. but you know, just be aware of what your options are. And I think that's all we have for bears this week. So we'll be back next week with another episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your bear stories or other near misses with death to inthelabyrinthofdeath at gmail.com. We'll see you all next week. Make good choices. <laughs>